<laughs> the temptation now is, oh, you've mastered that, Chris. It won't be the distraction that it once was. Download it again. It was fun, right? You enjoyed doing it. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, no, I could do it. I could control myself this time around. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdlich. And we are here together again. Yes, we are. Yeah, in the studio. Welcome back. Take two. <laughs> so for They didn't know that. They didn't know. No. <laughs> now they know. Uh, so this is take two for this episode. We did record one previously. Maybe we'll release it somewhere down the line if we ever set up stuff to do that with. But we both finished it and thought like, we need to flush this conversation out more. And it says we're looking at Satan, the big enemy the enemy behind the enemy, the enemy that's always there lurking, we definitely thought like, okay, we finished it. It just didn't gel until we got to the end. So I like how you're like, oh, maybe we'll release this. Like if we're not seeing it good enough to release now, why would anyone want to listen to it later? Just to hear how bad we were. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? Let's blame Satan. Yeah. We were going to talk about him and he just got in there and screwed it up. You know what's weird? Like the light was flickering. When we were talking, recording the last one, and I was like, Oh, yeah, I did. Uh... Yeah, and there's weird stuff just happening. I was like, Man, Satan really doesn't want us doing this. And then today we're here, and they have like stuff going on at the church. They have people with power tools and doing walkthroughs. And it almost does feel like. I really hope that gets picked up. <laughs> there's like loud noises in the background right now. <laughs> it's almost like something's preventing us from wanting to do this, but we're still going to roll through with this episode. Yeah. Keep on going, right? Yeah. So. My first question for you then is uh, the name Satan. What does it mean? Satan, Satan, right? So you've got um, really coming. We've got some Hebrew usage in the Old Testament. You've got Greek, obviously, in the New Testament. But what you're looking at there is like a slanderer or an adversary. Um, It's really more of a descriptor. Don't see it, especially in the Old Testament, really used as a name. It was definitely could be a title, but it's someone that's coming as an adversary, one that's coming to accuse or to slander and to be against. Um, there's definitely a lot of different areas where it gets used. It can be used of humans. It can be used of supernatural beings. So there's a whole lot of different usages, but you definitely see it being more of that descriptor as a definition. But then you see it becoming like those words being embodied in this spiritual being that we call Satan. So how does this character then, or this accuser, show himself in the Old Testament? Yeah, well, you have that. And again, looking at just it being a descriptor, it wasn't always used of this one that we call Satan. Even when you look at humans that were called adversaries or ones that come against or slanders and and things of that nature, there's a lot of them. But I believe from my studies, the first one that gets named as a human would actually be David, like King David. So you wouldn't naturally think in your mind like, oh yeah, Satan, Satan, like King David, he comes to mind. So the man after God's own heart. Yeah. (laughs) So again, looking at it like it wasn't even necessarily evil or wicked in and of itself, but you have the Philistines looking at David and really looking at him as like an adversary coming against them, right? So you have that and there were different times where there would be a modifier word kind of put on it to show that, oh no, here's like a wicked one coming. A lot of times when you look at the, on the spiritual side, the book of Job comes to mind, right? Because you have Satan, he's coming up and he wants to accuse Job and he's part of that. But you see him as even part of like God's counsel, part of his heavenly court. And it's almost like he has a role. When you look at old Persian empire type stuff, you'd have these people that went on into the empire. They're called the king's eyes and ears. And that was like their role. They were to go out and see what was going on and come back and report to the king. So again, there's a couple different schools of thought on this. Like, is this the Satan or is this just a descriptor of somebody who went out to, you know, see where people were at in their spiritual life and in their devotion to God? A couple different camps there. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, I mean, we have the garden thing that we talked about with Doug, which is a fantastic episode, right, to go back and listen to the serpent. But if you think about like the Old Testament, the enemy or the adversary wasn't really Satan. It was other people, other nations. Yeah, so that's a good point. So you have the serpent coming up, and there's different hints, and that is a great episode because that's one of the episodes that goes along in this mini-series, right, Mm -hmm. where we're talking about the serpent, the dragon, and Satan. So definitely focusing in there. But you get a lot through the Old Testament more of looking at the other gods of the nations as being the ones that are against like the Baals and Chamash and the Molech or, you know, all of those, like those are the adversaries that are standing against. There's a lot going on in the spiritual realm that if we just boil it down to, well, there's God and there's Satan. Like it's a lot more diverse than that. 
but definitely as we're going to keep talking about satan rises up above to be the one but throughout the old testament and you you really pointed out there's not really a well-defined satan character or theology or way of looking at him like that he's definitely there it's definitely coming through but you don't see it really tied together in the old testament so it's more in the new testament that he pops up like i have a few verses where i I mean peter is like one of the obvious ones first peter 5 8 uh, where it says be alert and be sober your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering so it's more the new testament that this character starts getting defined yeah and he's actually by the time that you get to the new testament he is pretty well defined to where when peter's talking about him or i mean even jesus right he he comes into a temptation with him in the wilderness and is like no here is the figure um, that it really stands against. But also by the time that we get to the New Testament, because there was that period between the Old Testament and the New Testament that kind of is viewed as the intertestamental period, <laughs> right? Or maybe Second Temple period, because the Second Temple got built and there was just different stuff happening as that time comes around. But that's really where in those writings that we look at, and a lot of those writings aren't in our scriptures in general. Um, maybe if you're Ethiopian, you get first Enoch or something in your Bible, or if you're Catholic, you know, you get some of the other books that really start to develop it more, but you would see some of those writings like in the Dead Sea Scrolls and different things that they had, uh, the assumption of Moses to where they're really starting to hammer into, no, there is a adversary. They're even looking at maybe some things that throughout scripture, people are trying to figure out like, well, yeah, it seems like God did something. And some of these writings outside the Bible, like the devil was working behind this thing, mm. but maybe going by the name of uh, Belial, that was a really popular name. I believe another one was Samael was one of the other names given. So there's these different names that's really getting brought down to who is this character And we see the truth of that coming out in the New Testament to where we get a clearly defined thing there to where, yeah, Satan now is definitely a descriptor. And you listed off one verse. I'm sure that we'll get into it. There's a lot of different descriptors of Satan in the New Testament, just who his character is, what he's about and what he does. But you definitely have that Satan now has become his name. And I like what when we covered the dragon episode. That I mean, that was a descriptor too. Like from the beginning, he was the accuser, the murderer. Like it, it laid out kind of already who he was, his characters and personalities. And even seeing that, how we paralleled it between some of the New Testament things that were happening, like he was coming to kill the child. And then you have Herod, who was actually physically trying to kill Jesus. Yeah, the spiritual and the physical and yeah. what's going on there. So, man, the Bible, when you really get in and start studying it, and obviously needing teachers, it's not like I'm sitting here with all of the knowledge, like I'm not fluent in all of the, you know, the ancient languages and stuff, but we have tools and we have teachers available to really dig in by, whoa, this book that we have is intense and mm. the truths that God is revealing are just amazing. And it's really a thing that, for us to know, you just even in that scope, we do have an enemy. And it's important for us to know that. And so I gave some more like more factual or studious type things looking at like, oh, who is this character? And it's interesting to see that there's almost a development of understanding. It's not like, oh, they made him up later. It was something just like all of throughout all of human history. There's progression and there's different things. But really, when I go beyond some of that studious look, I do realize when I think most about Satan, I'm like, man, I don't like this guy. Yeah. And I see him as more like he is an enemy to me. He's an enemy to God mm. and he's an enemy to me. And there's a lot that goes on that, yeah, I don't always want to blame God or the devil because there's a lot of times it's just me screwing up. But at the same time, it's like, nah, be aware of these things. Be aware of the wiles of the devil, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get tripped up. And it becomes a lot more personal to me. And well, when I get outside of the studious type thing. Well, yeah, I mean, even Jesus comes in, there's like John 10, 10, where he's like, their thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And even in that passage, he's now kind of changed kind of the term and the verbiage and calling the enemy the thief. But like we, we do have an enemy who he does that, like he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and I, I read this and I thought it was pretty cool kind of tying in this kind of concept is that we need to understand that the enemy, his sole mission is to rob, kill, and destroy, but he doesn't want to rob you of pleasures or kill your desires or destroy your happiness. On the contrary, he wants to use your pleasures, desires, and happiness to rob, kill, and destroy your relationship with God. So I think kind of what Jesus is getting at here is like sometimes we think take away things, almost like the Job story, right, Mm -hmm. where the enemy came and he took away things. 
but it wasn't really that. It's more kind of sometimes, and I and I will use the word sometimes because not always. He wants to use the things that we enjoy and the pleasures and the desires we have. He wants to use those things to rob and destroy our relationship with God. Right. So you look at sin bringing like death to our our spiritual life and to our physical life, right? That sin comes in, but you look at this body of flesh and really the flesh, like we have these worldly desires and temptations and pleasures that we're drawn to, right? It's like you're saying, he's he's not coming to take away those things. He wants to use those as tools. Like, oh, that's what you're into? That's how I can get you to fall? Here, <laughs> have more of that, right? Mm-hmm. But coming and robbing the true life that Jesus came to bring, the true versus like, oh, worldly happiness and like trying to chase things and have things and everything else. In God, there's a true joy, but he wants to rob us of that, right? And and similar. So I get what you're saying. That's that's a good perspective. I, I also read this and I thought it was cool is that Satan, like a fisherman, baits his hook according to the appetite of the fish. Mm-hmm. So like he uses the things, but like what's tempting to you isn't probably necessarily tempting to me, but he's trying to use those things to get us off course and off track. Yeah, I've heard it said, and hopefully I can say it as eloquently, that we tend to see the sin in the world that we are most likely to fall to ourselves. You know, uh, so yeah, you, hear, yeah. you hear different people talking about different things and yeah, they're definitely issues. That's where you see different people rising up as champions in an issue, whether it's in like sexual type sin or addiction type stuff or lying or gossiping or just whatever, just not worshiping God. And you have all these people that God takes where their life was at and uses that to then really show his grace and his glory to say, like, look at what was and now look at what is and Mm. really uses people to champion in areas that they really used to fall in. Yeah. Yeah, I see that in my life in different ways. Yeah, I think it hits all of us, too. And the one thing I did like, though, is this, this term, the accuser. And you meant, we mentioned Job a few times. And if you go back and read it, it's more of used of like um, the book of Job. He's more like a lawyer in a courtroom mm-hmm. where he's coming out, throwing out all these accusations. Like, you know, why does Job do this? And, you know, because you give him this. It's almost accusational. Like, if you take these things away, then, then he, he'll stop worshiping you. Or kind of in that sense, that relationship with you will end. Even when we looked at the dragon, like that was one of the key things was the accusation. Like he's the accuser. He's coming to accuse us of something that we're not, uh, something that God isn't, and something that other people aren't. Like he's just constantly accusing. Yeah, and I think tying in the accusing with Jesus also calls him the father of lies, mm-hmm. that he's been lying since the beginning and lying is his native tongue, right? Like it's just his first language is lying. So anything coming out of him is lies and it's lies and it's lies. So you take the lies and the accusations and those really come against the truth of what God is doing, right? And what God has done, he's going to keep accusing me of unrighteousness and of things that I've done, whereas God says, in Christ, you've been made righteous, right? Mm. So like, I'm still working through stuff, but God is revealing a greater truth. I don't know. So for me, it's those two coming together, accusation and the lie, because the accusation can seem really real, but then the lie is like, and that's all that you ever are, and that's all that you ever will be in. Ever be. Ever be. <laughs> That's all we'll ever be. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting too because like this the deception is almost what leads into temptation most of the time in our life, right? Like I've said this before speaking, I don't know if I've said this here on the podcast, but like when we sin, it's basically saying that God isn't enough. So those things are more pleasurable, more desirable than a relationship with God than loving him. And I think that all kind of comes into the first kind of thought like that Adam and Eve garden that questioning did God really say did he really say and that triggers so many other things like did God say you have to never lie like aren't there sometimes right moments to lie you know that that's a question that people ask isn't there times when it's okay to lie I I think one of the more common ones used is if your wife asks you, how does this look? You don't give the Before right you answer. even said it, I already that, knew that, that that's that, what it was yeah. going to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the most You look common. great. <laughs> yeah. Mm, thumbs up. <laughs> you know, don't say a word. Or yeah, ever steal like, right? If your family's starving, do you go and steal bread? To, right. You know, There's all justification of behind yeah. it. Yeah. And even going into the bigger things like, you know, sexuality, like go ahead and do it this way or that way. You know, God, he wants you to feel the pleasure. So cool. Go ahead and do it outside of marriage or even if you're in marriage with someone else. Like it's just... He's questioning the moral line or the standards that God has given us so that way we can walk away from them and kind of cut off that tide in relationship. Not like sever it, but like make us drift away from it. Yeah, and you're bringing up a question because a questioning isn't even quite an action, right? Like there's an action there, but it's not 
something that's forcing. And when you look at between questioning and accusing and lying, and you said baiting the hook specific for the fish, like going around trying to find what will be the thing that breaks you, that mm-hmm. breaks the integrity, that breaks the righteousness, the holiness, right? That, that breaks through. Because all that it takes, and I know this through experience, is like all it takes is that one thing to slip in, right? That question becomes, you said, a justification. That thought, you start thinking about it too much, and then like that thought becomes an action, and the action gives birth to sin, you know, looking at James. But I find that if I give an allowance in one little thing, it's like, oh, that's the chink in the armor. It's mm-hmm. been broken, and he's just going to pry that thing apart. And then pretty soon you find yourself in the situation, or I found myself in the situation, how did I get here? Yeah. The thing that used to prick my conscience, like, I'm not even concerned about that thing anymore because, like, I've done that so much and now I'm over here. Mm-hmm. So it really does start with the small thing. You ever uh, read that children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Yeah. yeah or Give a Moose a Muffin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's almost the same thing. Like, then it's going to ask for this and then it's going to ask for that. And then it's, we, we sometimes joke around with Remy about that. She's kind of like that. If you give her just a little bit of an inch, she's going to keep on taking more and more. I heard Pastor, actually, it was Mark Clark. He gave, he was talking about this, uh, well, when we get into it, the temptation of Jesus, and he told a story from Paul David Tripp in one of his books about a man who would work at a coffee shop. So his office was going to a coffee shop. That's where he set up shop and he'd work. And he said, like, you know, as time would go on, women would come in and he would like, you know, do a little look to see if they're looking back and then a little smile and see if they're smiling back and then a little wave and a little wink and a little nod and maybe a small conversation. Uh, to one point, one day he found himself at this coffee shop and a woman came in and it became more than just a little wink, a little nod. And then he followed her to the grocery store and they made contact and then he followed her home and he was about to knock on the door. And when he knocked on the door, then like the flash of his church, his wife, his family, his kids all came to his head. And he was kind of what you just said, how did I get here? But it wasn't like that day wasn't the big thing. It was the soft, subtle temptations of every day. Even where C.S. Lewis said in the screw tape letters, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turning, without milestone, without signpost. And I think that's where he tries to get us to waste away our life is going and following those little things, the temptations. And they're all different for everybody. And we'll see that when we pick into the temptations of Jesus, that, you know, they come in variety, shapes and forms and at different things and target different areas at our heart. Yeah, screw tape letters. That's a good, I haven't read it. Delilah actually took me to go see a play of it. And it's really interesting because it's kind of just a monologue. You had Mm -hmm. one guy on the stage and he's like reading off the letters. And for those of you that don't know, it's like there's a demon that's down in hell and he's like Uncle Screwtape and he's getting these letters from his young nephew who's out terrorizing the world. And just, man, C.S. Lewis had a really keen insight into what trips us up and the way that the devil has been working and just like working against our human nature. So yeah, whether you listen to an audiobook, read it, find the play, like it's very insightful to mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is this, this enemy. But yeah, just looking at that, give a mouse a cookie and all of that and growing from there, really seeing in Christianity, in Jesus, there's the thing of take every thought captive. And that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Mm -hmm. And to really see that when we're looking at this enemy, and there's definitely in the world, there's ways that Satan is working in in real physical ways through stuff. And there's wars and there's all kinds of just really bad things going on. When it comes into our own spiritual life, it's like the mind is the battleground for things. So really looking at that, but also giving the perspective of that, that that story that you gave of the guy who worked at the coffee shop and he went... We all have the situations where I think that we, not I think that, where we each have to stand against temptation, stand against the enemy, and to take that stand, we all have that. But we all also are born into this world that's just been ravaged by sin. Mm-hmm. Even scripture, we're going back to those descriptors, that Satan is the prince of this earth, right? The god of this world, and that he's at work in high places and everything there, is that even as children, like you I can't blame a child who's just been raised in a crap situation that all of the things that you get taught and learn that that's just normal and acceptable, that you don't even know that that sin is a sin. But yet, I also know that God, through his spirit, convicts us of stuff. So we, I, think, I think that there's got to be the allowance there and see that we've all just been like torn up in this war. So let's really see there's an enemy 
And then for those of us who know, let's stand up and fight. With this season, when we've talked about the, the enemies and the dragon and the serpent, the one thing that's hit the most for me is that we are at war. Mm-hmm. Like I think for a good portion of my Christian life, the concept of spiritual warfare was like demons, exorcism, all that other crazy stuff. But not understanding the spiritual warfare is kind of what our Christian life is. It's, it's just life in general is constant spiritual warfare. And this season has really helped me look at that idea that we are at war. And not only are we at war, we have an enemy that really, really hates us. Like he really does. He is not pleased. He is not happy. If uh, the passage that for one that turns and become, repents, there's celebration in heaven, mm-hmm. there is outrage in hell because he's just lost somebody. And that reality has really kicked into my head to thinking and looking at things more clearly every day. I like that you brought up that verse too, taking every thought captive. Mm-hmm. And the follow part of it that Paul says, into obedience with Christ. Right, yeah. And that's the part that I think we, we kind of like, oh, I'll take that thought captive. Mm-mm, not going to think about it. But it's the follow-up is to obey Christ, that I would rather to obey Christ than do that thing. But that's the part that I think the taking every thought captive and obeying, that's the key ingredient to all of it, because that's the part that I said, I'd rather be obedient to God. I'd rather submit to Him than chase after those things. But, but what our enemy is throwing after us is, no, chase after these things. This seems better. This is more pleasurable. It's the same play that he's been doing since the beginning. Yeah. You know, like the other thing is like knowing our enemy, like he's not, it's not the yin and yang of Jesus, like, or God itself. Like he's not. Oh yeah, I wanted to bring this up earlier. Yeah. yeah. He's not the ultimate villain. I mean, he is, but he's not at the same level as our God. And you get that in other religions, you have the dualism, right? Yeah. Is that there's the God and the anti-God, you know, good and evil and they're equal and you have all that. And it's like, that's not what this is, is that Satan is a created being and when it comes down to the final battle, Michael handles him. Yeah, he gets his butt whipped, and it's easy. <laughs> yeah. We saw that with the dragon. It was like, and then they waged war, and it was like, but then it ended so quickly, and maybe it could have. But yeah, it was Michael who handled him and handled him to where, uh, I, I like the, the revelation thing. It's like he tossed him out of heaven or tossed him out into onto earth. Like he just got tossed. Yeah, and later in Revelation, like, oh, no, an angel, another angel just come and binds him. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the ultimate. Not that we should underestimate, because obviously wreaking havoc. But you said a few things, and I'm hoping, it's like, man, I should take notes. No, I'll be able to remember, so let's see what I do. <laughs> One, you're talking about spiritual warfare, that it's not all the demons and the exorcism stuff. It's like, but it also is that. But I don't think that all of us are really called fully to that. However, if that's where God has for the church right now, and it's more into that, we just need to be obedient, right? But you um, also got to be careful with that. Oh, yeah. There's... You don't want to end up like the sons of Sceva. <laughs> What happened to the sons of Sceva? The seven sons of Sceva who tried to kick out the demon and the demon kicked their butt and like pulled down their pants. Instead, they, they went away pantless. Like, yeah, don't want to be caught pantless by a demon. <laughs> don't want to get, you, don't, you don't want to be caught pantless from a demon fight. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's just bad. But it, it is a key part of what you were just saying. Like That's there. And I think there are people definitely gifted and shaped to it. Well, but, there, like, we see that was part of what Jesus did. That was part mm-hmm. of what his disciples did. And I definitely think that there's a lot of stuff that we're probably not aware of in mm-hmm. this country in this time that we probably need more of that. But like you're saying, that that's not the full focus because you brought up just taking the thought and submitting it to Christ. And this life that we have of faith, faith comes down to allegiance. Like really, when you put faith in God, you're turning away from every other allegiance. You're turning away from Satan, turning away from his kingdom. You're turning towards God and turning and saying, Jesus is the king. So it is in the way that we live our life is that we're showing our allegiance as part of his army, as part of his people, right? That's how we're waging war. And for every time that we stand against temptation and do what's right, for every time that we offer mercy and that we care for others and that we love our neighbor and we love God, we're winning the war. We're pushing back the darkness. So it really is in the almost in the mundane everyday yeah. things that if we take those more seriously and see that everything we do is meaningful. And so again, the slippery slope of like, well, that didn't really matter. That didn't really matter. A whole lot of didn't really matter is a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost a, and then we'll go to the break and come back and start talking about the temptation. But I've heard of it more of like erosion. Mm-hmm. Where like erosion isn't, isn't like something that happens right away, but it takes time to f- eat at something and eat at something to eventually it's either severed or gone completely. And even on that, I'm just thinking of like, I'm sure that you've seen those things as like the cliffs or whatever that now that we have videos and whatnot that we can see, 
like eroded 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 and then a whole cliffside just falls in mm. and i've heard it said before like man when you're messing around with sin and temptation you don't get to choose the consequence yeah like just because god's been patient and wanting you to turn in repentance like you don't know when that thing's gonna hit and what it's gonna look like and that was the third thing i was sitting here trying to remember what it was you said that we have an enemy and he hates us is that we think that what is it today in the world? We have like the UN and we have all these treaties and different things, the the rules of war that you need to follow and like you can't treat prisoners of war this way and like all this stuff. That doesn't exist mm. in this war. Like it is complete domination and there is no prisoner. There is no whatever. It's take you down, tear you down. And it's not like, oh, play nice. Like eventually he'll he'll ease up on me or there's no easing up. Mm -hmm. Like that just doesn't exist there, which I guess leads into part three B when the devil loses somebody right when when people receive the gospel and life comes in and obedience and everything else for christ the next step is just distraction yeah right he goes like all right well i lost you that much but i'm not going to lose you completely and i think that's another important thing is just like yeah living out in the world and being fully under that for everyone who sins as a slave to sin your father your son of your father the devil and all that right there's the two camps People can think, oh, well, when I come into God's like, oh, that's going to go away. It's like, no, but you get armed up to fight it. You get given the freedom and the spirit to fight against it and like all of those things. But devil doesn't give up that easy. Yeah, I like that part, the distractions. And I think that's where a lot of us could get caught up. And it's not like I'm being tempted to go out and have an affair or steal or murder somebody. But like, but I'm it can being, end up there. It can. But I'm I'm being I'm being tempted to give up or distract myself from what the main mission or call is. And I'm sitting there like watching 17 episodes of something on Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service. Rewatching seasons you've yeah. already seen. Yeah. And you're just like, I didn't even spend time with my God. Like, that's what I meant at the beginning. Like, it's not like that's a bad thing, right? Like, I like watching TV and I'll sit down and watch something too. But if I'm not spending the adequate amount of time with God, then it's like the other stuff is getting more of my attention. And now that's become what I'm worshiping and serving. I'd rather spend eight hours watching a whole series instead of just sitting there reading my Bible. Remy sometimes has trouble sleeping. And so we started doing this new thing with her where I, it just kind of hit me. She, she watches a lot of TV sometimes. Yeah, she reads her Bible and we talk together about what she reads and we sit there and just kind of discuss whatever questions she has. But when Reed goes to bed, he likes to listen to music. So we put on worship music and he knocks out quick. Remy will put on like whatever show she likes and just sits there and then like it's two hours later and we're like, Remy, you need to go to bed. One of the things we started doing the, a week and a half ago was putting on pastor's messages. So I started picking Chris Brown, who was on this season with us and talked about Samson. And I started putting on her, his messages. And she actually is like, I actually like them, but she falls asleep quickly. She also says he's funny and says, why can't I be as funny as him? Which kind of hurt, but no, Chris is really, really funny and he's a great dude. But she likes him and she goes to sleep. And the thought with it was when it, what it hit me was the garbage coming in consistently will kind of make us garbage that we need to get some of that out and, and put something better in. Leading all to the idea and the thought what you were talking about is that it's a warfare, it's a battle, and the enemy doesn't have to play by the rules and isn't going to. Like, he's going to come at you. And you could think, like, it's going to be with cancer or with someone dying or some traumatic, crazy thing that the enemy's attacking you. But really, it can just be your favorite show. Yeah, the, just the complacency. And when we're looking at time that we spend in those things, is that, again, going back to the lie and, and all of that thing, well, this is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Even though you're sitting there and you can kind of feel empty in it and kind of know that something's going on, like, it just wants to, he just wants to keep you trapped in that. Like, I really think that we don't know what we're missing. Mm -hmm. And what God has to offer is so much better to where what God has to offer is so much better. So it really is a thing of like, man, to be able to just break away and see what God has, that's always the solution. Look at Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him, and the other things fade away. And if we just sit and try and, like, focus on the devil, you get stuck. The solution is to focus on Jesus. This is definitely where I think. I know that we're about to go to the break, but it just struck me when we were talking about they're not playing by the rules. He doesn't, but yet God is sovereign over everything. And that for everything that the devil does, he's playing into God's hand. Even in my own life, I can look at like all the disastrous things that have happened and like whatever. It's like, oh, God was able to work those for good. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't ever come to God and you don't ever seek him, you don't ever love him, then all you're doing is just stuck in that cycle over there. But God is able to take all of those things 
that the devil's throwing all of his attacks, all of his distractions, all of his everything, and being able to turn it into good. So even though he's not playing by the rules, he still falls into God's plan. Yeah. Uh, here's how crazy distractions are and like how they play in our lives. That like, I don't know if you've ever been around people who are watching TV or a movie, mm-hmm. but they're also on their phone. Mm-hmm. Like they're distracted upon distraction upon distraction. And the ultimate thing that he is doing and using that distraction is to destroy, kill, and steal your relationship with God. So let's go to the break. Hold on. <laughs> you just made me think. One time I walked in, and Casey, my daughter, uh, she's got the TV on. She has her laptop out, and she has her phone. And I was just looking at it like, what? So, <laughs> and that's not uncommon. Yeah, it really isn't. All right, break time. Break time. All right. Hi everybody, it's Reed. I'm here to tell you about one of my favorite new TV shows called Jesus Christ, Agent of Justice. This show has it all. Action, suspense, humor, and so much more. It's a true crime show, an investigation show, a cop show, and a law show, all wrapped in one amazing package. On the latest episode, Satan, the senior partner of Serpent and Dragon, is trying to recruit Jesus to their firm. He tries so hard to persuade him with an upscale meal and all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus rejects every offer, choosing to continue to work at Good News Law Office. Tune in every Thursday night at 9 p.m. on GCTV. You can also catch up on past episodes using the GCTV app. Take it from me, you don't want to miss this high-quality program. Jesus Christ, Agent of Justice. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now back to the show. All right, we are back from the break. And with the second half, let's look at the temptation of Jesus. Uh, Like I said earlier, I feel like this is a good kind of comparison. Maybe I didn't say this earlier, and I said it in the last one we recorded. But Well, you said it earlier. I said it, yeah. I'm saying it now. Uh, I think this is a good comparison of a lot of what we talked about, too. I think this is going to kind of solidify some of those areas we had talked about, especially how he tempts, where he tempts, and and all that other stuff. But Jesus is just getting baptized. Uh, He just got baptized by John. And the crazy part is that with Matthew, I'm going to look at the Matthew one instead of the Luke, but with Matthew, it ends with, he gets baptized, and the voice says, this is my son, whom I love, with him, with him I am well pleased. And then it continues, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. And then the tempter came. And that's just so telling of like a lot of what's going on here. I think the first thing to me that stands out the most is that he was led by the Spirit. That mm-hmm. God led him there. And, and I think sometimes we could think like we're in a desert or in a bad place, not fully understanding that that's where God has brought us to. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's looking at being led by the Spirit. If we know that we're being led by the Spirit, then it doesn't matter if you're in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that's what I found a lot in life is just, I just want to be where you want me to be. And it makes the wilderness seem a lot better. If I feel like I'm in a wilderness and it's like, oh, I've kind of let my relationship with God slip and different stuff, that's a scary time. Yeah. You know, but that leading by the Spirit, because then you can trust God. Like, well, I know that you took me here, so you're going to see me through it. It's for a purpose. You know, it really starts to align things. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, and I feel like we could probably talk a lot more on that. But to yeah, keep that's the a whole sermon. Yeah, that is a whole <laughs> sermon. That one verse is the whole sermon. But to keep it going, uh, uh, so after 40 days and 40 nights, fasting then the enemy came and it's like uh, i think sometimes we have to think when are we tempted like when does temptation hit us when does it come into our life when does that kind of start happening to us when <laughs> so we're looking at like there, i wasn't sure if that was a rhetorical question or what a little bit of both i, I would think for me if, if i'm gonna like look at this personally when i'm tired when uh, i'm distracted or busy I feel like those are the times temptation comes in more. I think distraction is because it's you're already distracted. You're not thinking about God. Uh, busy, I'm just doing, doing, doing. And then tired is like, yeah, 
yeah, honestly, tired is the big one. I, I remember God really revealing that to me. It was like, hey, when you're this level of tired, look at how low your defenses are. And it wouldn't matter because maybe I would be reading my Bible and praying and doing different stuff. But it's like getting tired is just, it's a weak spot to be in. Mm-hmm. And, and it says a lot, though, that the enemy came in. Th- there's two thoughts I have with this. Uh, the first one would be he came in when he thought Jesus was at his weakest. I mean, obviously, if you're not eating, and you're fasting for 40 days, that you're pretty physically weak and body is hungry. Yeah, the, the hungry part there goes like the, to the mass of hungry, to the max of hungry, and like your body's starting to eat itself. And again, this isn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to do a fast in modern day America and I'm still going to bed in my home. Like he's in the wilderness with animals. Where do you find water? Like you're getting water and doing nothing, but no food. So here you have Jesus in a human body. Yeah, that's a weak spot to be. And I like that you brought that up too, because again, I, I find so much into reading the Bible and actually putting yourself in there instead of here. Like, mm-hmm. I got to take my brain out of modern time and put it into that time. Yeah, he's in the desert. He, he, he's alone in the wilderness, not like... You think he had a Patagonia sleeping bag? <laughs> 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 May have helped, but like... Yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you're just, you're just alone. And I remember fasting more than a day. I did like a three day one and I was agitated. Sleeping didn't even bring satisfaction. Although it was like, I'm going to sleep eight hours and at least this is eight hours not of not dealing with yet. being hungry. But like, it, it's still like your sleeping isn't that good. So, wait, you stopped at three days? Yeah. Well, you stopped right when it was about to get easy. Right? Apparently. No, really, at like three, four days, your body kind of switches gears like, oh, okay, we're not doing the food thing. And it, oh, I had the to... worst migraine in the world day one to day two ish. Like, yeah, like the last few hours before day three, before I finally ate a big old plate of pizza, uh, I had the like the headache went away and you're right. Yeah, I kind of fell into this like, no, this is not that bad anymore. There you go. You were fasting and the devil came and tempted you with pizza. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I had the no, pizza. No, but yeah. bringing it back to Jesus, right? You're just looking at three days. I've done that before and like the first three days are hard. And when you get to 40s, like your body is eating itself, mm-hmm. like your muscle tissue and all this stuff. So your point was he was at his weakest physical point. Yeah, but on the flip side of it, probably spiritually at his strongest. And I, I've heard this, uh, Doug told me this, Doug Jones, who we had with the serpent and some other stuff on the show. He said that at this point, when he when we were talking about this part portion of scripture, that Jesus was at his spiritual strongest because he had consistently said no, no. So he developed and strengthened that muscle of no. And I really did like that. And that's what actually led me into the, the three-day fasting was I can see that sometimes my no muscle is weak. And it needs to be strengthened. Like, it's almost like it needs to be exercised. Yeah. So we're going to get into this temptation, and maybe I'm preemptively doing this, but just because you let into it right there. Anybody listening, I've already shared it with you, so this is for the benefit of our audience. When you're talking about that no muscle, this was back when I first came back into Christianity and really was starting to learn about it from my own. And I had some some struggles with a certain sin area, right? And I was just like, how do I get rid of this thing? I don't know. I'm trying everything. Like, it doesn't seem to be going away. And just, like, all the guilt coming from it because, like, I want freedom. God gave me freedom from all kinds of other stuff. But, like, this one, he didn't take. I was like, what the heck? And then I was reading my Bible one day, and the disciples couldn't cast out a demon. Mm-hmm. And they come, and Jesus is like, well, this one only comes out with prayer and fasting. Which like, is only mentioned in some manuscripts. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I put that manuscript to the test because mm-hmm. I was like, nobody's telling me really how to get rid of this. It's just like, well, repent, do this. I'm like, I'm trying. And then when it comes to fasting, I was going around and talking to different people and who were in, when was that have been? 2009, maybe America. And nobody fasts. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how do I fast? How do I do this? Like, no one was giving me real good advice. So I was like, all right, I guess I just won't eat until God tells me it, I'm good. And so all I did was I drank water. I just went to straight drinking water because I wanted to be free of this thing. I think it was about 34 days. I just got the okay from God like, okay, you're free of that. And really, I was. I was. And it goes to the point we were talking about earlier that like spiritual warfare, we could think is this, this, and this. But that passage alone saying sometimes only things are driven away by prayer and fasting, meaning like we've got tools in spiritual warfare where it's not like these crazy 
the power of Christ compels you. I need an old <laughs> priest and a young priest type thing. But sometimes it's just prayer and fasting and, and getting that relationship with God right. But I really think that when you're saying that no muscle mm-hmm. is that, man, when you're consistently telling your body, no, you're not getting food, you're not mm-hmm. getting food. And like, I'm hungry, but instead you're praying and you're reading your Bible during those times. And yeah, when you're saying that this was, he was at like a spiritual peak right here. Absolutely. That's, that's what fasting should do. Yeah. So then this fool Satan comes in and he thinks he's got, <laughs> Jesus, he's got Jesus on the ropes and he's all like, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I got to tell you, 40 days in, you're, you're looking at pizza at this moment, like, can I eat that rock? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jesus come in and just really, again, the spiritual truth there that what God can lead us to and even being led into the wilderness and even the reality that, you know, it's not all about eating bread, hence the fasting, right? Mm-hmm. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he goes, I see you with the temptation. I'm surviving on the word of God. I'm surviving on the relationship with the Father. It's not about the bread. There's something telling, too, with the question of if. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's always the kicker for Satan is like, if. Anytime I've heard him actually or read him say something in scripture, it starts off with if for the most part. And I could be wrong. Yeah, so you get that in the garden. Mm-hmm. I'm even thinking of Job. He's like, well, he's like that because of this. But if you were to take those things away. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like always his precursor. <laughs> I'm saying, is it, we are talking about if that's the same Satan. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It always seems to be his pre-thing. It's like if, it's the question, it's the doubt, everything. And uh, the one thing I like about this is that the notion and something that I took away from study was the, the idea of bread, that he's like throwing bread at him. And it's almost like, the concept of bread is just like, that's the normal thing. Like it wasn't, and eventually we'll get there, but it wasn't like the luxuries of life or the easy thing. It was almost the normal everyday average thing. And he tried to make it more important than God as where Jesus has been doing this fasting and building his relationship with God that like, no, worship this bread. Like, you know, you want it, you know, you, you need it. Now the spirit led you out here to fast. Mm Mm-hmm. But this bread, that's more important than what the Spirit's leading you exactly. to do. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's a, it's a way we need to look at what our, again, why I like this portion of Scripture when we talk about Satan is the fact that recognize the tools of our enemy mm-hmm. and how he comes at us, when he comes at us, what he's going to try to play. He's going to make things more important than God. And like we said earlier, Netflix could be more important than God. Spending time with our family. As a pastor, I know ministry to be more important than God. And I'm not talking about the big things yet or the crazy things that most people think about when they think of temptation but or idolatry in a sense. I'm talking about like those average normal things that are always out there. I mean, really the thing that should hit all of us, you're probably listening to us on your phone. <laughs> that thing right there. Like it's the easiest distraction in temptation mm-hmm. because whatever app you're throwing on there, whatever website you're going to, whatever, anything, it doesn't need to be raunchy and scandalous like it can literally be that stupid little game that's got you hooked (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) i've talked about on the show i deleted a a game from my phone and it was a it's a wrestling card game where you power up and you get more cards and you get better cards stronger cards and you're beating other people Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah it's addicting because you always want to level up and they gear it towards that but right and i just went through that because i'm in a, a time of just prayer right now that there's a game that I play and it's like, it's, it's, I literally only have one game that I play and they have little achievements you can do and they tend to be time-based, like you got to get in before whatever. And the day before I went into this time of prayer, I was literally one victory away from getting the final thing that would give me the achievement. And I woke up in the morning and I was just like, oh yeah, by conviction in God, I knew, I know I'm not going to play this for like the next few weeks. And I deleted the app just knowing like, I'm not going to get that achievement. And I was really thinking about, that's crazy that to get some stupid little digital achievement, going back to the the normal things can be put above God, like, oh, how can I apply that level of like, man, I want to achieve the things in the kingdom and in reading my Bible and in prayer. And it's like, I know that I have those desires, but that hook that's in there, like, I, I got to get to that next thing. Anyways, I'm, I'm going off on some and stuff. And I think, I think Jesus even answers that with quoting Deuteronomy, the, on every word that comes from God's mouth that like how do we achieve that next level well if we believe that the Bible is the word of God get into your word and you start achieving 
more and more, not like necessarily points or anything, but like you get a deeper relationship with God. You understand him more. Back to the card game thing that I had, I was at the same point. I was finally top card level rank best deck out of the people in my team. And I just deleted it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm done. Like, because there were times where I told Justine when we were, when I was doing it, like I was playing while watching TV or watering the yard or at church sometimes. But it was like, I could do this without thinking. Yeah. You know, I'm just mindlessly doing it. And that was really what started triggering my own thinking, like mindlessly, like, am I really mindlessly doing it? And then, uh, so now flash forward months later, so that was August. So now we're February of 2022. The temptation now is, oh, you've mastered that, Chris. It won't be the distraction that it once was. Download it again. It was fun, right? You enjoy doing it. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, no, I could do it. I could control myself this time around. I have yet to reinstall the game because I'm going to tell you I know to. I can't. I've done that with different games to where like, oh man, this game, like I'll try to be whatever and it hooks into that thing. And I become like you're saying, man, you're the top mm. of the thing. I'm like, this is a problem. I delete the game. Don't reinstall the game. A few months go by. Something else pops up, right? Mm-hmm. So again, I'm talking about mobile games. I think that mobile things are addictive for a lot of us and can really come into that. But you said earlier You'll bait the hook with things particular to you. Yeah. And to bring it back to what we're looking at here, when the moment where Jesus is 40 days in and food is the thing, he's baiting the hook with the food of just like to get away from what the spirit is leading you to do. And yeah, if it's your phone that's getting you away from what the spirit's leading you to do or whatever it is, to be aware. And we've you said it earlier, is it doesn't start with the big thing normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so temptation number two. So that didn't work. Then, <laughs> <laughs> then the devil took him to the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord your God to the test. This one's interesting to me. Why? Uh, th- there's one thought that I really do like from uh, Michael Heiser okay. that I'll get into after. But the other thought is like he took Jesus up to the highest point, like he took him to the temple. And the thought that I had was temptation doesn't always come where we think it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it can be in, in regular life situations. And we always think like uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas type thing. That's where I'm going to fall into whatever debauchery I'm going to fall into. Or I'm going to be led astray, but really, it's not necessarily those places. As we've just discussed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, you can be watering the lawn and be super distracted and stuff, right? And just taken away. You want to flesh that out a little bit more? Uh, no, I think that was it. Okay. <laughs> Wait, was it's... that the Michael Heiser point? Or no, no, the Michael Heiser point I'll get to afterwards. Okay. Um, another thing that I see here is when he first started off, he's like, all right, if you're son of God, tell these sons to become bread. And then Jesus responds with scripture. So then this time he comes around, he's like, all right, I'm going to come at you with scripture. And just to use scripture as a point of temptation. Mm. And that's where Jesus replies, don't put the Lord your God to the test. To where, I don't know, I can think of various times that in my faith walk of getting to know different things about God or seeing different things in the Christian scope and what other people or denominations or whatever is going on and just hearing things and desiring things that yeah desiring things for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. and even just like but God why would God withhold that thing from me like yeah if I'm the son of God why would he let me fall off the top like yeah he'd protect me Mm -hmm. like and just that coming into where even the knowledge of scripture and of God can get twisted. He uses the Bible to almost ruin our life when he uses it out of context. Mm -hmm. It it will ruin our lives. Like uh, there are so many people, where's that passage? Like you'll be able to handle snakes and and the serpent will bite you. And yeah, there's that one church that I don't know if they're down South or whatever, but their pastor had to get rushed. Yeah. Yeah. And when you read stuff like that, it does take it out of context to like, no, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Or uh, a beautiful verse like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans, the good plans that I have for you. Everything's good all the time. Just keep quoting this one verse. Yeah, and you kind of miss Jeremiah twenty nine twelve, and and ten and everything around it that contextualizes what that actually means. 
contextualize like he was talking to the Jews yes. at a certain point in time. That kind of contextualized. Or Philippians, right? Like, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. and it's, no, it's, I can do all things through a verse out of context. Yes, and, <laughs> that's, and that's what we're saying. That's that, my translation. That uh, the enemy will use a verse, yeah. the Bible, to misquote it, to take it out of context, to, to put it in your life that would prevent you from actually growing deeper into a relationship with God. And we're kind of joking about it, but I remember it was... It was several years ago now. It's probably at least eight years ago. My my previous pastor was telling me about these kids that were in like Southeast Asia and there was a flood going on and there's different things that were happening. And they had confidence from from some scripture that like, yeah, God wouldn't let us die in this situation. And like other people left and like, we gotta get away, we gotta do and like, no, we gotta stay here and by faith and do the thing. And yeah, they got swept away and killed in the flood. Mm. And so when you're looking at, hey, jump off the top of this thing, like God will save you and the different stuff. He quoted scripture mm-hmm. and we got to not put God to the test is what Jesus is saying. Yeah. Because that's kind of what they were doing. And I can understand it from a like, why would God let that thing happen to us? Mm-hmm. And the reality is we have an enemy <laughs> who, you know, is coming after. And yeah, it's we're not promised. We were talking about it the other day. We're not promised to not get sick. Yeah. We're not promised to not die. You know, we're not promised a lot of those types of things that that's where the devil's coming around. Hey, nothing bad will befall you. His angels will come and get you. Yeah, nothing nothing will wrong. Your life will be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then is he the son of God? Is he a good God? The story, and, and then I'll get into the Heiser thing to kind of shape up the out of context thing. When my cousin was diagnosed with cancer, um, and, and I wasn't in the best relationship with God at this time either. But the passage that came to my head was Jesus taking the disciples through the storm, right? And he said, mm-hmm. we're going to get to the other side is what he told them to begin with. And they went through the storm and they're like, oh, we're all going to die. And then Jesus was like, got them through to the other side. That came to my head. And so I told him, I was like, God's going to get us through. He's going to get us through to the other side. And I always use that as like, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. Nothing's going to happen. Well, when he passed away, there was a brief moment where I was like, God, you gave me that scripture. Mm-hmm. What happened? And it wasn't until like maybe a few months later or after the grieving process of really kind of sitting down and, and reestablishing my relationship with God to begin with, again, to be healthier, the word came that that wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. That was for me. I was going to get through this storm and this thing. But if I didn't understand it properly, I could have totally misused it out of context, then been angry at God because God didn't protect me. He let my feet hit the ground, you know, type thing. And then that anger that I'd already built towards God during that time would have even been thicker. And that's a rough thing. And that's a really real thing. Like, and that's hard. And, but I get that even in telling that to your cousin, because I think that in love, like love hopes for the best Mm -hmm. and goes for that. And I don't think that it's wrong to like hope for the best, but yeah, we've got to have all things considered. Yeah. Uh, the Heiser thing, though, yeah. uh, the interesting thing with him was he said, so this is uh, quoted out of Psalms 91, mm-hmm. and that Psalms 91 is like part of the, I guess the word he used was the exorcism verses. So there's certain passages that are used exorcism-wise or demonic-wise for demons and stuff like that. So this is one of them, but he's the whole premise of this, and I'm, I'll put the link in the video in the show notes because I'll probably be butchering his very well-descriptive thing. And it was like a 10-minute video. What he was saying was what the enemy was doing here was actually trying to understand the game plan of God so that if Jesus did jump down and he realized that the angels caught him, that he couldn't hurt the physical body. And so his attack plan in the cross would no longer happen. He wouldn't take him to the cross because killing Jesus wouldn't be the trick to getting rid of, getting rid of him and getting him off mission and off track. Yeah, that's... That's a good insight. And even the, what's the other scriptures was like, man, if the devil understood that this is what would come of it, he would have never crucified him. Mm -hmm. And again, the devil just keeps playing into God's hands. But that's where you see Jesus not falling into the temptation, allowed God's purposes to to be fulfilled there. That's a really good insight there. And it's even when we talk about like, he works all things for the good. Mm -hmm. Well, the crucifixion, was a thing he worked out for, for the, the ultimate good. good. And it's not like that was a great moment for Jesus up there. Like He was we, praying, hey, if if there's any way this cup can pass, like, God, come on, 
If there's another way, if there's but your al- will be done. If there's another alternative, yeah, but I'll submit to your will, even to knowing that back then that it was, you know, I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm just going to put a, a small plug in it. For, you brought up Heiser. Heiser has been a super influential scholar in just my understanding of the Bible and stuff. Uh, he's got a podcast, Naked Bible Podcast. Go listen to it. He, they're on like a couple hundred episodes or something now. I've started when he first started that. He's got a couple books out to really help understand the supernatural realm of things. It's He's been one of the most influential teachers in my understanding of scripture. So I just really want to put that plug. He's a scholar. So he lays things out and he'll just give the options like, here's a way of looking at it. Here's mm-hmm. a way of looking at it. If you follow this path, here's where it ends up. I think they just finished a thing of how Revelation uses the Old Testament mm-hmm. and that that's where all that comes. He's not going down and, well, this is what all of this means yeah. for today. It's just, look, the Old Testament, it's, it's all drawing from stuff. Now you can find stuff on YouTube of his that's like, hey, all of all this end time stuff. And he's got, I don't know how many hours it is, but he just walks you down each and everything. So if you want to understand scripture better, Heiser is a great source. Yeah, I think he he has his own YouTube channel. That's where I found it. Yeah. And it's really funny because all of it is, it's him teaching classroom settings. Yeah. It's so it's him teaching. The third then temptation, since the first two didn't work, is this. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountains and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, and all of this I give you. If you bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I think that it finally comes out, right? The devil being shaded and, you know, keeping things secret. And like, even what you're saying, like he was testing, like, how do I get through this thing? What does it come down to? If the devil can get you to fall into his temptation, to turn away from what the spirit's leading you and everything else. Ultimately, I think that this is the temptation. Hey, bow down, worship me. The, come, going back to the allegiance thing. Are you going to listen to God? Or are you going to fall into what the devil is doing? And it really is those two options. I like that. I looked at it too from this perspective of Jesus's ultimate mission was to save all the kingdoms and mm-hmm. nations. Mm-hmm. And even to like take them up there and he's like, look at their glory. They're great, right? I think the, the temptation that comes at us the most is right now. Mm-hmm. You could have it right now. Easy path. Yeah, here, here it is. All you have to do is worship me, but have it now. Take the people now. Take it all now, 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 now. Uh, rule now. But that wasn't the plan and that wasn't what God had designed for everything. And I think, like you said, the easy pass, the fast pass, how can I get what I want the quickest way possible is what we're tempted with. And I can't think of a specific example, but we see it in movies and in like shows and stuff all the time to where there's the opportunity and you can kind of see and then like somebody's heading in a direction and you have the shady person come in or the person that you know they're working stuff in the background or maybe that part's hidden and you find out later that they're working stuff in the background. But they're like, I'm, I see what this person's doing. I'm going to give them what they're going, but they're going to be under my rule. I'll be the puppet master in the back. You know, that kind of thing. I think that we've seen enough films and movies to realize following in that path, again, you're bowing down and you're worshiping Satan. And it's just like, cool, you have all the nations, but guess what? I'm still in control. Mm-hmm. I think that there's also a truth there going back to Satan being called the god of this world. He could have given him the nations. It just wouldn't have been what he was supposed to have. It wouldn't have been the redemption. It yeah, yeah, exactly. His... It wouldn't have been his mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think that's the, the way to look at it. It's like, take it now. Uh, go around the suffering part, get past all that other hard stuff and just take the quick and easy solution. I was thinking of um, Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. he had the dream. I was going to do this, this and this. But then the process to get to where Dude, God needed him. That process was horrible. It was like, I'm in a pit, sold by my brothers. I'm taken to a foreign country. I'm now accused of rape. I'm now in a dungeon. And like, I mean, this everyone is, keeps forgetting about me. The dungeon back then isn't like our prison system today. Like, it is horrible, even probably worse than the dungeons and prisons that the disciples went to, which were horrible living conditions. Then everyone keeps forgetting about me. And after so many, so much time and so many years from that first moment of what I thought, God finally put him in the place where he needed to be. But the process was the character development needed to be more like God so that when he gets into that situation, he can help out other people. Going back to you want to talk about going through a wilderness and trusting God through it? Right. Look at where he ended up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, so those are just kind of my thoughts with that. The one thing I, always, I, I do want to add to this too, this episode, is a thought that as I was looking at this in whole is that God always seems that with God, it's testing us, like testing the faith. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but what Satan is always tempting us. And he's wanting to pull us away where God is testing us, trying to build us to get us stronger for the battle. Yeah, and in that, for us to really get that the test is supposed to become a testimony. God isn't setting us up for failure. Mm-hmm. Like He wants us to succeed. He wants us to find the victory. He wants us to walk in faith. He wants all of those things for us to where when we're facing things, to know that God is on our side and to seek him. Mm-hmm. Right, you've brought that up a few times. That, yeah, it's about seeking God and, and, and having that. So in the spiritual war, that really is a thing. Prayer, fasting, seeking God, keeping our eyes on Jesus, being aware of what the enemy is doing, and then turning to God with it. Super important. I know that throughout this, we've kind of talked about a lot. We didn't, I guess we kind of talked about Satan as like the villain. Mm-hmm. But we also have just talked, I think, more about is his game plans as well. You, you've got to know that, at least if you're a Christian, that he's the villain. Mm-hmm. But I think we sometimes sleep on how he comes at us. Yeah. So we're expecting it to be the big thing or the other thing. I, I like Kerry Newhoff. He had this article, and it was uh, Satan's five favorite strategies. And the first one was division. The second one was arrogance. The third one was discouragement. Uh, so that's like, I'm not good enough, right, mm-hmm. type thing. And then the fourth one was self-pity. And I, I like the way he worded it. He said, self-pity is discouragement on steroids. <laughs> I, I really did like that. And then the last one is the slight crossing of the moral lines. And this is the enemy's five favorite ways he likes to attack us. And I think uh, as looking at him as the villain, yeah, we could try to like do what the other people we did was like character and who they were and the things they are. But the Bible's very clear. Like we have the passage you, you talked about that he's a liar. He's always been a liar. He's a thief. Uh, he's a lion that wants to destroy. Even in 2 Corinthians, he puts himself to look like light, but he's really not. He's trying to deceive us, so he's the deceiver, accuser. We have a good description of him. Uh, I do uh, go back to that statement of saying that we sleep on his attacks because we're kind of like David, where we should have been at war, but we're up on top of our palace, staying comfortable, and then like, ooh, temptation. There's Bathsheba standing there, and then, then it's the tragedy that tells it. And I like what you said. We never get to determine the outcome of our sin. And that should be the scariest thing to us, that, yeah, sometimes God is gracious enough to give us time to repent. And we talked about that with Jezebel, and I never even thought about that until you brought that up, that, you know, the, the prediction of how she was going to die, but then there was years that went into, into play that God was just giving her an opportunity. And obviously she didn't choose it, and then she got fell off the roof, splattered, and eaten up by dogs. But he's always willing to give us the time to repent before calamity does really the children of Israel are that story. Uh, I'm reading in Jeremiah now, and Jeremiah's just welling over them and talking about all the mistakes that they've made and stop, stop, stop. And he's going up to the north and he's going down to the south. Like he's going throughout all of Israel and saying, we need to stop this. And everyone's like, shut up, Jeremiah. We're having too much fun, you know, but eventually the hammer does come. Really looking at him being an enemy, just framing it as warfare, I think super important. Just my kind of learnings through that in addition to what we've been talking about is if we're looking at Satan as being like the general over the demonic army and whatnot, and we we brought it up that Satan and God aren't counterparts. So God is omnipresent, omnipowerful, omniscient. Satan isn't. He can't be everywhere at one time. Mm -hmm. And there is a finite number of demons that are out around doing things. So I think that as I look at my own self, what I've what I've had to do is, okay, how much of this is just me? my flesh, my temptation. Let me start there. Now, am I struggling against something that goes beyond, like, am I sitting here blaming myself for something when there's more spiritual warfare things going on? Like, man, there's some demonic stuff happening. And then you you move into that, right? And honestly, humbling for me at one point, just really, I'm doing that much that the Satan himself, he's coming after me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm like, Maybe I got the 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 little runt demon. <laughs> like, I want to do something. All right, <laughs> go, go screw with this guy. You know, I was like, um, not to make light of it, but I really had to go through, hey, take responsibility for my own life. Mm-hmm. Repent. Repentance is huge. Seek God in the ways that we've been talking about. and But then also don't ignore it. Realize that we are the scheme of what our world is. It's, it's, it's a battlefield. It's warfare. And to take that seriously as we look at people and relationships and different stuff just war-torn and casualties and everything else and 
We get to go fight it with love and with truth and with righteousness, with the gospel, with prayer, all these things. So good. Uh, repentance, the word when I always think about it now is that it's a shift in the mindset. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, throughout the whole New Testament is, is it's a change your mind. You got to change your mind. It, it can't be what it was thinking about. It can't dwell on the things. It can't chase after this. It's all in the mind. And I, I really do believe that the battle that we face more often is in the mind. The spiritual battle is there. So using the tools that we have, prayer, fasting, to knock those things down, and the Bible, and each other. I said this on one of the other episodes, I think it was season two, Our Church Friends, when we talked about the Bible. Uh, but a lot of times we like to use the sword, like kind of how like Jesus did here. He was like, let me quote scripture at the enemy and battle him that way. And so we then think of it as like the, the weapon of attack of stabbing Mm -hmm. but i really do believe that it is the weapon of love and that that it is a weapon that we use not necessarily to slay people down or ourselves but to love and once we see love fully and understand that weapon that it is a weapon of love then that does change our mindset on where we're going to start doing things they say in addiction that in order to replace one addiction you have to love another one Mm -hmm. so if we love god more we slowly start despising that other thing that we used to love as much. And Jesus puts that out there, right? You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, despise one, right? I don't know why it came to my mind of just thinking of different, probably animes or different, you know, (laughs) fantasy, to where when you're saying that it's a weapon of love and just looking at people and that we're supposed to love people, but realizing it's warfare and just thinking of like, I don't know, some... Uh, venom type something like on someone right <laughs> like there's the person but then there's a thing and using the love and like when the weapon hits them it's like it's cutting through and hurting and damaging what satan is doing and what sin is doing so that that thing can come off and the holy spirit can come through you know like the person is there but the spiritual warfare and what love is doing hmm. i don't know it just kind of gave me that perspective of like driving the thing off that's like whether it's inside or on top of or whatever. It, it's hurting yeah. that thing, but loving the person inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Cool. All right, I'm Chris. I'm your the. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>